invite you to be seated, my dear friends. We welcome you on this Memorial Day weekend as we step finally into summer. And I want to invite the little children, the little ones up through grade four, you can step out from this place to a group of adults who are ready to receive you. And they have been preparing for you, and they're excited to share with you what God has shown them. Every summer for the last several, <clears throat> I've been encouraging you to consider that there's about 100 days between Memorial Day and Labor Day. And sure enough, again, this year there is. So I've asked God to give us a theme. And this is the theme for the summer, the 100 days of summer 2013. We're going to be on a journey together. I wonder if you saw uh, the report of Governor Christie on the Jersey Shore being handed a, a scissors that stood about five feet tall, and he cut a world-record five-mile-long ribbon yesterday, opening the Jersey Shore for summer business. Now, if you've never been to the Jersey Shore, that doesn't mean anything to you, but for the folks who live in the state of New Jersey, the Jersey Shore is their lifeline. It's a major part of their economy and jobs and all kinds of things. And when Hurricane Sandy came roaring through there a few months ago, not only did it tear apart businesses and homes, entire communities were wiped off the face of the shoreline. They've worked feverishly to rebuild it. And now it's open for the summer. And as I watched it, I thought, what would it look like if maybe the angel Gabriel came to God and gave him a scissors to cut the ribbon on the summer? What kind of a scissors would that be? And what do you suppose God is thinking about as he anticipates what your summer this year is going to be? Well, we're all going to be on a journey, and it's going to be a great journey together. I would urge you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 33, because that's going to form the foundation, the roadmap for our summer together. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible, there's one under the chair there in front of you. Somebody tell me what page is Psalm 33 on in those Bibles that you find under the chairs? Say it again, please. 396. Thank you. During our summer journey together, we're going to be working our way through this psalm a couple verses at a time. Today we'll look at three verses. We're going to be reading together two chapters of God's Word every day, and in your worship folder you should have found something that looks like this. It is the layout of the entire summer that I've prepared for you, two chapters a day. So no matter where you are in the country on vacation this summer, you can track with us. Our weekend messages are going to be focused on those scriptures that we're reading for that particular weekend. So I have a question for you as you get ready to step into your summer. What is your hope for summer 2013? There's actually a little place that I left in your notes today that you'll find in your worship folder, of course, where you can jot down later today and tomorrow, what is your hope that your summer will be all about this year? You'll probably jot down the word fun. You're hoping that 2013 summer is going to be a lot of fun. You'll probably jot down family, friends. There's some special food that we like to eat around here in Walworth County uh, during the summer, right? That, that uh, special corn is going to be coming pretty soon, hopefully. Those bratwursts and all those good things. But summer 2013 is going to be life-changing for some folks. There will be people married this summer like there was Friday night right here. It'll start a whole new life journey. There will be people taking missions trips. It'll change their lives forever. There will be people graduating and stepping out on their careers or changing careers this summer. There will be babies born and new life will begin. I wonder when you come to the end of your summer and you look back, what will this summer have been all about for you? 
So there's a place there for you to jot down now what your expectation will be of the summer. Let's look at those first three verses. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. In fact, would you read them with me together, friends? Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Do you see the word joy begins and ends those three verses? And I believe that this summer, God is inviting you to li- and me to live a summer of celebration, that he would like this summer to be a summer that you are joyful. And I wrote for you there in your notes that that should be a natural outflow. In fact, a natural overflow of an authentic relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Is that true? Do you believe that's true? If Jesus has changed your life, joy should naturally spill out of you. Jesus said on one occasion, surrounded by a large group of people, if anyone is thirsty, come to me, and out of you will spring a a, a fountain of living water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit that, that would take up residence within those who trusted Jesus, and they would be joyful people bubbling out the joy of Jesus wherever they live, work, play, go. You see here that it says, sing joyfully to the Lord. Do you see that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Do you see it again in the second verse, and the fourth verse, and the fifth verse? In fact, 13 times in this chapter, that name for God is there. That name is a special name. Do you remember the story of when Moses was on the side of the mountain and a bush caught fire? And that burning bush called him by name. He was having an encounter with God, and God explained to him that he was going to send him back to lead a million Hebrew slaves out of Egyptian slavery. And Moses said, and when I go back and tell the people I've met with God, they're going to ask me, oh, yeah? So what's his name? What would you like me to tell them? And God responded, you tell them. I am, Exodus chapter 3. I am more than you will ever need. I am more than you can ever comprehend. I am the origination of everything. I am eternal. I'm holy. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. I am more than you will ever need. This summer, it's my hope that you and I get to know that God in a great new way, and he becomes really personal to you. Do you see here that it says, Sing, praise, play skillfully, shout. Those are all actions, would you agree, that are the result of a choice. I choose to celebrate. I choose to praise God. All summer long, I believe God is going to give you the opportunity, if you choose, to be one who's living celebrative joy and bringing joy to the people around you. That's important because probably every one of us in this room, we know plenty of sourpuss people, right? Plenty of folks who seem to have their life purpose to discourage you. You know anybody like that? My hope is that this summer you're going to be a person with a life purpose to bring joy to the people around you and that it flows out of that relationship you have with Jesus. Do do you see it says there in the first verse, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous Well, right away, you and I would say, well, I guess that's not me. I'm not righteous. I'm not holy. I'm not perfect. I know me. God says, you're right. But 
When you come to recognize your need for a Savior and you trust Jesus Christ to be, be your Savior, God does an amazing thing. He forgives us of our sin. He declares us righteous and holy, right? Because we're standing in our identity in Christ. So yes, we can be these joyful people declared righteous by a holy God. And then I got one more thing I want you to see. Second verse. Praise the Lord with the harp. You see it there? Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. And maybe you see in your notes, I quoted that, but I left a blank. Do you see it there? Praise the Lord with, and there's a blank. That's for you to fill in. As I've been reflecting on it, I've written there in my blank, I'm going to praise the Lord with my heart. I'm going to guard my heart this summer and not let it get discouraged by the stuff that's happening around me that could discourage me. I'm going to praise him with my mind, make sure that I filter the things coming into my mind and it doesn't get all clouded up with the junk of this world. I'm going to praise him with my mouth. To the best of my ability, I'm going to guard that everything that comes out of this mouth is going to be honoring to him and helpful to the people around me. Now, don't hold me to that 100%. I'm going to try my best, but like you, I'm fallible. I'm going to praise him with my choices, I wrote down. I want my choices this summer to be honoring to him, helpful to my family, those around me. How about you? So this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, take some time and fill that in for you. And then it says, make music to him on, and in the verse it says, the ten-string lyre. But I've written down in my blank there, I'm going to try to make music to him through my relationships with other people. I'm going to try to make music to him through my finances. And every time I reach into my pocket for something, I want to ask the question, God, is this a good spending of your resources that you've entrusted to me? I want to make music to him with my time. I got a hundred days in front of me, a hundred days. I want to try to really use my time well so that when I come to Labor Day and I look back at the footprints that I have left in the sand of summer 2013, I want to stand there and, well and say, wow, great. I want to package this summer and mark it in my mind and remember it for the rest of my life. How about you? But the truth is, we don't live in a safe, wonderful incubator. We live in a painful world. And there's some folks who've walked in this room this morning and your heart is broken by the reality of life. There's some relationships that aren't working well at all. You'd give anything for them to work properly. Your heart is broken. You're facing some financial crisis. You don't know how you're going to get through it. Some of you are grieving the absence of dear ones who have gone on before you and left you. Some of you are anxious about things that are going to happen this summer or need to be decided. The truth is, for every single one of us in this room, the weight of life is sometimes really heavy. So in the next few minutes, I want to help us answer this question. How can I learn to celebrate, to be joyful in the midst of deep discouragement or maybe even despair. If you're going to join me on the journey of reading two chapters a day, today you're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. So could I ask you to turn there with me in your Bible, please? 1 Samuel. Now, again, I need somebody to tell me what page is 1 Samuel on, on those Bibles from under the pew. 190. Thank you. You were ready for me. 1 Samuel. I wonder if you remember the story. This is about, oh, 1,100 years before Jesus was born or so. It's the story specifically of one woman by the name of Hannah. 
She uh, is married to a man by the name of Elkanah, but he's also married to another woman. Now, I can't fully explain how that happened, but that is not a happy family, I can assure you. <laughs> and the one woman has a whole bunch of children, and Hannah doesn't have any. And those two women don't get along very well. Can you imagine that? In fact, <laughs> it says here, <clears throat> when in that first chapter, you come to verse 6. Her rival, the her is Hannah, the, the rival is the other wife. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Is there anybody in your life like that? This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, the place where they would worship, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Have you ever been in such a painful place you've lost your appetite? Your heart is so broken the weight of the load of life is so heavy, even your most favorite thing to eat, whatever it is, doesn't look appetizing to you. Have you ever come to a place where you just can't stop crying? Look at verse 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. You get the idea that poor Hannah is in a really painful, desperate place. Question. When you find yourself in that place, is it possible to find joy and to actually celebrate? I want to suggest to you this morning, yes, and I'm going to give you a couple of reasons, starting with the very next few words in that line. And she prayed much to the Lord. In your notes, you'll see that there's a blank to fill in, and here's what I want to give you. One of the ways that you can find joy, first contentment, then joy, in the deep pain of life is to recognize that everything exists and functions under the watch care of the Lord. That same God that I was telling you about in Psalm 33. Do you see that's what she did? In her deep pain, she prayed to the Lord. Why? I've listed there for you in your notes Isaiah 40, 41, 42. You see that? There's about six chapters there that are just powerful. And over and over again, in those chapters, God says, I am God and there is no other. I made it all and I'm holding it all together. And I made you and I know you and I love you and I'm watching over you. Take hold of my hand, God says. I will strengthen you. It's greatly encouraging truth if you believe the Bible to be true. Hannah was praying, even though she had a broken heart, to the Lord God, the only God, who she believed was sovereign, and so understood why she couldn't bear children, who, who believed, she believed was an all-knowing God, and so understood what was going on in her situation, an all-powerful God who could intervene and do anything. When you find yourself in that dark place of despair you have a choice either you're all alone there and god has abandoned you or god is in control he's holding your life in the palm of your hand his hand every breath you take he places in your lungs he's watching carefully he understands everything that's going on in your life and he's right there with you now that's a choice you can either believe the lie god doesn't know he's abandoned me or you can believe the truth 
You can find contentment and actually joy in the most desperate situation when you know God is here and he understands it. I'm not alone, and he's holding me together in the pain. Do you agree with that? When Jesus was here, he said, I will never leave you. He said to his disciples, I'm going, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you always. And so I'd like to give you this thought. The more accurate my understanding of God, the stronger my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then the greater my celebration of God, regardless of my circumstances. Look at it closely. Is it true? The more accurate your understanding of who God really is, the stronger your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the greater your ability to celebrate in the pain, regardless of the circumstances. Now, you have to decide, is that true, or is that just Sunday morning babble? I say it's true. Anybody else agree with me? You've experienced it in your life? Amen. May I give you a second one that I see in her life? Do you see in verse 19 of that first chapter, it says, early in the morning... They arose and they worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home. Nothing had changed. She was still a woman without children, still infertile as far as she knew, but she had chosen to worship, and now they're heading back home saying, God, I'm trusting you with it. Amen? So look at the next line. In the course of time, don't you love that? In the course of time, Hannah conceived and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, it's because I asked the Lord for him. The Hebrew version of Samuel, it, it, it sounds like God hears and God responds. In the course of time, may I give you a thought that for me is somewhat radical. Consider this. Today is the tomorrow that I anticipated or maybe worried about yesterday. Do you agree with that? Now, that's pretty obvious. But how about the next line? Time is the canvas on which God is painting his story. The Bible is, is, is kind of an overview of that. But I'd like you to consider, my friends, that as God is painting the story of who he is and how he would like to relate to the human race, he decides as he picks up a brush, I want you to exist. And he paints you into his story. Do you agree with that? That's why you're alive. God wanted you to exist. You didn't choose that. He reached into your mother's womb and he conceived you, right? He birthed you. He's given you life and breath from that moment to this. God painted you into his story. Think about that. Now, we have a natural tendency, or at least I do. When I find myself in a painful place, I get all consumed with what's happening right now. And oh my, it hurts. And I'm seeing the circumstances around me that are almost overwhelming, and it's hard for me to get my head above the waves to think about maybe there will be a tomorrow, or next week, or next year. Time. In the course of time, God intervened. 
and a miraculous son was conceived. When you go on reading his story, it tells us there in the second chapter, verse 19, each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to worship. You may remember, you'll see it if you'll read the story with me, that after he was weaned, she took that little Samuel and brought him to the tabernacle and left him there to grow up there under the tutelage of the high priest. And every year she would come back and give him a new little robe she'd made and spend loving time, mother and son. Time was passing. That same second chapter, I'm looking at the 26th verse, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in the stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. He was maturing. His character was developing. Time was passing. When I look there at that um, third chapter, the 11th verse, and the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. God was saying to little Samuel, I can see that down the quarters of time, I am preparing now for something special to happen. And when it happens, everyone's going to be amazed. Question. Has God been preparing you for this summer for a long time? Does God know everything that's going to happen in your life this summer already as though it's already happened? Yes. Is God working now in anticipation of great things that he can see coming down the quarters of time that he's preparing you for? Yes. That's part of why what happens here on Sunday morning is so important. It's kind of like you pulled into the pit stops on a NASCAR run, and you're getting refueled, and you're getting new tires, and you're getting everything you need to step out into next week because God knows what's coming and I can pretty well assure you that in a crowd this side, for at least one or two or five of you, you'd be shocked to know what's coming your way in the next week. You'd give anything to not experience what you're about to experience. But God is meeting with you this morning to prepare you. Those guys go running around at almost 200 miles an hour wondering, when is the next person going to cause a wreck that's going to involve 20 of us? You ever watched NASCAR? It's amazing, isn't it? If they only knew, coming around that next curve, boy, they'd all jump off and get into the pits. I don't want to be a part of it. But God doesn't let us know. Life comes at us. And what this morning is all about is you spending time with the God who created you and let him give you what you need so that next week when it comes, right here, you're able to say, God is with me in it. This moment is part of the painting of his story that he's involving me in. Right? And so this thought for you, my dear friends. The greater my ability to see today from God's eternal perspective, the greater my ability to celebrate. I have found, my friends, when I find myself in a tough place where life hurts, if I can look forward, what's it going to look like five years from now? Ten years from now? 200 years from now, when I'm standing next to God in heaven and he and I are talking about the time that I lived in Williams Bay, and I'm looking back at that crisis, 200 years from now, standing with God in his throne room, what does it look like then? The greater my ability to see my today from God's eternal perspective, the more I can celebrate in the crisis. Let me give you one more before we go, my dear friends. 
And that third one is this. Every person, every person is a unique thread in the global multi-generational tapestry that God is weaving. If you're finding yourself getting caught up in the boredom, the mundane of life, if you found yourself coming to a place where, oh, another summer, I'll never amount to anything. I'll never find my way out of this deep rut of life that I'm living in. I'm just a waste. Don't believe it. God doesn't make waste. God makes special people. You are very, very special to God. Not because of anything you do, but because of who you are. Made uniquely by him in his image. For whom Jesus Christ died so you could have a dynamic, wonderful relationship with the holy God experiencing Jesus Christ walking the journey of life with you every day. You are not a waste. You are not an accident. You are not a disappointment to God. You are a man or a woman or a teenager whom God loves very much and whom God is weaving into the tapestry of that which gives him great glory. Do you believe that? Chapter 2, verse 35. Just one more verse. Look at it. God says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. Things had turned really dark. The one who was supposed to be the spiritual leader was failing desperately, and his two sons who were priests helping him didn't even believe in God. God was saying, I see the mess, and I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to raise up one man a miracle young man known as Samuel. And I will do through him what I want to do because he'll listen to me, he'll follow me, he trusts me. Do you suppose God was thinking something like that when he reached into your mother's womb and conceived you? I'm raising up in this generation someone who will listen to me, who will love me, who will follow me, who will do what I have in my heart and mind. Can you imagine if there were 10 of you in this room who would say, yes, that's my determination? What if there were 50 of you, 100 of you? For the rest of my life, I will live my life in full and total obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved me as he leads me through life. Can you imagine what God would do? And so this thought, the greater my awareness of every person being a fingerprint of God the more that I can celebrate that God is at work. When you find yourself in that dark, desperate place, you tend to be looking just at yourself. Oh, my life hurts. And you tend to be looking at how you're hemorrhaging on all sides, if I can say that. But God suggests lift up your eyes and look around you and look for the evidence that around you are people who are wonderful fingerprints of God, people who can encourage you by virtue of what God is doing in their lives. People who will pray for you and stand with you in the fray, right? And you be one of those kinds of people for others around you who you know are in those desperate places. This summer, as every summer, we're going to read a book together, if you'd like to. Oh, it's good. It's simply called Not a Fan. You see, in the days of Jesus, there were times when there were huge crowds like this that gathered to listen to what he might say or to watch him do another miracle. 
But the truth is, most of them were there just for the show. And when the show was over, they walked away. And so the book challenges us to ask the question, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Short chapters, each one concluding with a real live personal story of a person. So may I conclude our time together with this story. On February 10, 2006, I was in control of my life, and I liked very much the direction that things were going. I had a thriving chiropractic practice, two sons and a devoted wife. The next day on February 11, everything changed for me. I was heading out to my hunting cabin where I planned to meet up with friends for a weekend hunt. As I drove along, I could see the effects from the severe drought that we had been experiencing. Everything seemed to have dried up and died on both sides of the road. By the time I reached the dirt road heading to the cabin, it was dark. As I made the turn, I missed the road, and I ended up in about five feet of thick brush. I tried to free my truck by putting it in forward and then reverse, repeatedly, back and forth, back. The friction from that somehow ignited the brush all around my truck. Within seconds, my truck was a burning inferno. I reached for the door handle to escape, but the electrical system had burned out. I was locked inside my burning truck. Seconds later, the windows exploded. I don't really know how I got out. I have no idea, really, what happened. The next thing I remember is I was stumbling down the road toward my cabin, telling myself over and over, one step in front of the other, don't stop, keep going. When I reached the cabin, my friends thought I was wearing some kind of a three-dimensional leafy hunting outfit. <laughs> but it wasn't camouflage. It was me and the charred, shredded skin of my body hanging all over. A Metaflight helicopter took me to a burn unit where I was told I would never have much of a face left. I would probably lose my sight as well as the use of my hands. God put an absolute halt on my life. I'd been so busy being successful. I was on such a fast track that, oh yeah, God was a part of my life, but kind of lost in the shuffle. He certainly was not on the throne of my heart or the center of my universe. I was the center of my universe. I don't believe God caused the fire, but I believe God allowed it because he wanted to get my attention. Like a parent who tries to get through to a child, God grabbed me by my shoulders. He sat me down and he said, I want you to listen to me. I want to talk to you. That was the beginning of a spiritual awakening in my life. Over the next four years, the doctors amputated seven of my fingers. I could not use what was left in my hands for even the simplest of tasks. But the doctors said there was nothing more they could do. And then my wife, Cindy, asked about the possibility of a hand transplant. That began a time of waiting and testing and prayer. We spent countless hours together reading the Bible and praying together with friends. Finally, the day came for my double hand transplant. Twenty surgeons and three anesthesiologists took 17 and a half hours to attach my two new hands. Many people have pointed out that it was a miracle that I didn't die in the fire that day. That's true. But in a very real way, I did die in the fire that day. The man I was died that day. God gave me a new life where I'm not in control anymore. I have turned the controls of my life over to him. I'm not in charge of my life. I've submitted my life to Jesus Christ. These days, my wife and I constantly pray to be used by God in any way that he would want to bring him glory. It may sound crazy, 
but I would rather have gone through all of this pain and suffering and all of these changes and challenges and have the relationship with Jesus that I have now than continue down the path that I was on before the accident without this relationship with Jesus. My name is Richard Edwards, and I am not a fan. I am a follower. Lord Jesus Christ, this morning you have invited us in our worship to choose to celebrate you because of who you are, an awesome and a wonderful God who has created each of us and who understands all that's going on in our lives. Through the life story of Hannah, you have invited us to see that no matter what the despair we can choose to worship you, believing that you are watch-carrying over us. No matter what the discouragement, we can choose to see this moment in the large scheme of the tapestry of time. No matter what we might feel about ourselves, no matter what others might say about us, we are uniquely created by you in your image. And you desire to do great things in our lives and through us. It's a choice, isn't it, God? And it's a choice that we get to make over and over and over again. So my friends, listening to my voice right where you are at this moment, what's your choice? What's your choice for this summer? Will you choose to make it a summer of worship and celebration and joy in spite of the circumstances because you know the God of the universe is watching over you Jesus Christ, who is your Savior, if you've trusted him, is walking the journey with you. The Holy Spirit of God is there with you. It's a choice. Will you see this moment as crisis as it is in the larger picture of time where God is painting his story and he has chosen to bring you into his story? Will you choose to see yourself the way he sees you? Right now, it's a moment of decision, right where you're sitting. He loves you and he knows you and he invites you to speak to him in the quietness of your heart. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, now is a perfect time. Tell him you know that you desperately need a Savior. You need God guiding your life. Invite him to do that. He promises he will, and I'd love to pray with you and speak with you after the service. So, God, we choose to worship you now as we prepare to propel ourselves out from this place, starting to make the footprints in the sand of summer 2013. We worship you. <laughs>